You're listening to Way J, Grand Junction's OG Waylon Jordan, with on-demand content from Town Square Media's 99.9 KEKB in Grand Junction, Colorado. This is Waylon Jordan with on-demand content from Town Square Media in Grand Junction, Colorado. Today, I'd like to discuss the life and career of Grand Junction area photographer Robert Grant. Bob Grant passed away back in 2000, November 15, 2000, but his legacy lives on through thousands and thousands of as yet unseen photographs, which I happen to be in possession of for a little bit of guidance, moral support, little direction as to what to do with this retrospective, this lifetime's work from Robert Grant. I've asked special guest Pat Olson, a local artist, photographer, entrepreneur to join me here in the studio today. Pat Olson, I know you as many, many things in Grand <laughs> Junction, aside from an artist, sculptor, I uh, right. will use. You right. were the, the man behind the First Responders Tribute statue, or the proper name would be? Uh, the 9-11 Memorial First Responders, which is now sitting at, in front of the new fire department building. In addition to that, uh, how long have you been in Grand Junction? Since August, this time, 1980. Do you live in the historic district? You're a former uh, restaurateur, uh, oh, businessman, business right. owner? Right. Most of the time as an artist uh, doing sculptures and what is called sculptural furniture or artistic furniture. Sculptures with a function. But you're also, you have a photographic background. Right. Yeah, I was a, a semi-pro. I won't glorify it by saying a pro for a couple of years in Denver. Uh, also did a, a brief internship at the Denver Art Museum, mainly developing films and schlepping stuff around. I see. And so we're here today to discuss a mutual acquaintance of ours. Right. For you, he was a, I guess, a friend, a little bit of an instructor. Yeah, more, more of a, a moral support. Okay. <laughs> to me, he was a grandpa, and I'm speaking about late Daily Sentinel photographer Robert Grant. Bob Grant uh, passed away November 2000, November 15, 2000. Born and raised in Grand Junction, what they used to call Bridges Switch. We ran into a real problem when he when he passed away. His birth certificate said born in Bridges Switch. Well, it turns out that's the area right between Clifton and Palisade. When you go over really? the little okay. overpass. Oh, yeah. He was yeah. born in the house just south of that overpass. They could find no real historical record of their every for having been a Bridges Switch, Colorado. But that's what it said on his birth certificate. <laughs> born right here between Grand Junction and Clifton, right in the Clifton area. His father, former postmaster of Clifton, Colorado, grew up here, went on to World War II. Prior to that, though, worked at the Daily Sentinel. Came back from World War II as a photographer, a soldier slash photographer. Mm -hmm. Came to the back to the Daily Sentinel, where he'd already been employed and was the chief photographer until 1985 when he retired. So there's the background on Robert Grant. You encountered him roughly? Uh, I think it was 1979. We'd actually come over to visit my in-laws, which we did on a regular basis. And uh, they happened, you know, we happened to be talking, you know, what would you do if you moved over here? And would you want to continue with photography? What would you do? And they said, well, I can get you in contact with Bob. And uh, so they did. And I got to meet him and, and hang out with him a little bit. And, and anyway, I, I assume you maintain some level of friendship. And, and when you say moral oh, yeah. support, uh, what do you mean? What's fun, and, and this happened with uh, a lot of the Den the uh, Daily Sentinel photographers, you'd meet them on the street and then you could stop and you have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. Chris Tomlinson, Gretel Doughty, uh, and Bob in the early days. And I didn't get to see him much uh, because we didn't move over until 1980. You know, as soon as we moved into town, I looked him up at the Sentinel and said, hi, you know, we're in town now. And, and then just kind of kept track of what he was doing. And, and uh, you know, he'd kind of tease me a little bit, you know, what what kind of photographs are you taking? And, hmm. 
uh, it's similar to, I think, many of the artists I've run into. Your topic of conversation is not necessarily artistic. What do you do when something goes wrong? Or, you know, what's the best way to do this or that? You get into the technical details, but you don't usually get into the artistic details that much. So there's a reason why I wanted to speak to you about this. You had a relationship with Robert Grant. I obviously did as his, as his grandson. He has been gone now 22 years. We have a lifetime of photography. Now, a lot of oh, it yeah. was for the Army. That belongs to the Army. Right. A lot of it was for the Daily Sentinel, which is the Daily Sentinels. And if we go back in time a little bit and back long before digital, Let's go back to the 19, well, late 30s in Bob's case, certainly into the 40s when photography, not everybody had a camera, processing prints, uh, processing the film, developing it, and dark rooms weren't everywhere. Not everybody had access to them. So when certain things would happen, crimes, catastrophes, emergencies, uh, you called Bob Grant back in the 1940s. He had the equipment at the dark room. And the ability. Right. The technique. Yeah. Police did not necessarily have access to all that, so you called in Bob Grant. So... That brings us to this point. And first of all, let me say, you and I have a relationship in that you perform music, as do I, and we've performed together oh, for years. hundreds of times over the last decade. <laughs> yeah. So we've had this conversation a hundred times. Now we're having it and sharing it with everybody else. Here's the situation. So we have a man's lifetime of work, over 50 years in photography. A lot of it is his. It's photographs mm-hmm. he took for the sake of taking it, or back in the days when you shot film. So let's say you have 32 exposures on the roll. You used half the roll for the assignment you were on. But you still have half a roll and you see, I don't know, you see something curious, a nice pretty shot or something like that and you take it and it's on that roll of film. You have it, you develop it and then you stick it in a file cabinet. (laughs) Fast forward 70 years and along comes your grandson and I have (laughs) Bob Grant has passed away. His, His only child, his daughter, Gloria, my mother has passed away. These photos have come to me at 52 years old and, and a career of my own. I have thousands and thousands of prints more than that in negatives and I got to do something with them. Right. And that brings us to this point. You and I've had this conversation a handful of times. Okay. So I've tried to do this. I've tried to get these photos back out there. Right. First of all, you have to make the distinction between what's his versus what isn't his. And most of what I have clearly his, mm-hmm. that's all been filtered out. And, and of course, anything he took for the army stayed with the army. Pretty much the same thing with the Daily Sentinel. So mostly what I have are his shots. Now, Bob Grant was not Sears Portrait Studios. He was not taking high school graduation photos. He was not taking photos of, of uh, pretty trees. Uh, <laughs> he's a photographer. He was a newsman. Yeah, and that, that's a distinct kind of photographer, too. And it presents a little bit of a challenge. He photographed frequently crime scenes, natural disasters. Yeah, uh, fires. Lots of <laughs> lot. I have wrecks, I have a photo of stuff. Mike Gazdek fighting a fire that my grandpa took back oh, in excellent. 1976, I believe, right here in Grand Junction. Oh, Mike I'd Gazdek, love to see that shot. Yeah, I have it for it. I gave a copy to Mike. So, so you see what's going on here? Okay. Right. Lots of photos. Got I feel a responsibility to get them out there. If I don't, who will? I don't want these lost. No. You know, just before we started recording, I said, you know, what I'd really love to see is a book of his photographs, which would be dynamite. Now, since he was part of the Daily Sentinel, one of my wife's and my good friends was Kathy Jordan, who was the secretary in the uh, Daily Sentinel's news department for decades, uh, who has passed away several years ago. But uh, she was very much into the history, too. And it occurred to me that maybe the Daily Sentinel might be interested in helping to put together a book of his photographs, which 
Now, the Army photographs are the Army's, but they're also public domain, sort of. You can get copies just by ordering them. Mm-hmm. So if uh, it would probably require the main repository for military paperwork and photographs and stuff would be either the United States Army Signal Corps or the Center of Military History, which I believe is in College Park, Maryland, or the National Archives, those three resources. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would require a tip trip to the Washington, D.C. area to be able to access a lot of that stuff and actually physically see what's there because most of that stuff has never been digitized. It's all in file cabinets. Mm -hmm. But they will help you and say, I'm looking for Signal Corps photographs taken by Bob Grant, and you may have to have his military information, which you may have the paperwork on that. I do. Okay. And then they'll be able to call those photographs for you. You can select those that appear to be, you know, the kind of thing you really want. I'm kind of thinking and the Daily Sentinel might help on that too. And then you could select from the Hmm. boxes and (laughs) file cabinets full of the personal stuff, put it all together as a retrospective book. I see. Uh, Let me say one thing real quick. You yourself, you just provided a ton of information. You are a veteran of the United States Army. I am not. You're Actually, I am a veteran of the United Service Organizations. I see. Which, as most people will connect with Bob Hope, we entertain troops. USO send groups all over the world to entertain troops. And if you could drop a few locations. Uh, Japan, Korea, Vietnam, Thailand, Australia, Guam, Okinawa, Hawaii. I may be forgetting forgetting some. Um, Those were the places I went mostly. So let's get back to what you just said about a book. Now, if I may, as my maiden voyage into all this, we go back 12 years, right after Bob Grant's wife died. Right. And that that chapter came to a close, a long Alzheimer's battle that very consuming, Mm. took a lot of time. And with that, I said, okay, it's time to address Bob's photography. Uh, With it came the creation of the Bob Grant Memorial Scholarship at CMU, but then came this project. I'm going to just say it right out front. I did a really lousy job. What I attempted to do was photo exhibits. He did a number of exhibits over the years for Kodak, uh, some of them in New York. So I had these prints made specifically for exhibits for Kodak. In Rochester, New York. Exactly. And they were a little bit dated. Most of these were from the mid-1960s. Matter of fact, all of them were from the mid-1960s. But that was part of the appeal of the exhibit, if you will. That's right. just happened to be when they were taken. And I added to that a handful of prints made from prints and negatives that I had found in a relatively short space in time before I found the bulk of what I have now. I want to say that real quick. Mm -hmm. This is before I knew entirely what I had to work with. Put together a handful of art exhibits that were, in some case, in many ways, well-received. Matter of fact, I had you cater one of them. I don't remember oh, that. Yeah, that's right. You were you had a restaurant at the time, and right. you catered the one. I'd say ninety percent well received. Here's the ten percent that did not go well. Bob Grant was a newsman. Again, we're not talking about an art exhibit of nice, pretty pictures. Right. We are. Uh, one of them was of a airplane crash right here at Walker Field or mm-hmm. Grand Junction Regional Airport. No one was injured, but careers ended. And yeah, long story. So there was a certain drama attached to the print. Right. The whole reason why it was taken, obviously. Another one involved a rescue scene at what ultimately was a drowning. Okay, this is what he did for a living. One, photojournalism. Photojournalism. And uh, beyond just his career, this was also Bob Grant's life. And I'll use an example. I found a photo taken at Oh, the bottom of Nine Mile Hill involving mm-hmm. three young men, a nighttime accident. They had gone off the edge. 
and all three killed. These are mm. someone's children. Okay. Oh, I, I yes. guess they were all late teens. And I pointed out to my mother. My mother was, this was a few years before she died. And I said, no, I just found this print. This is a graphic, very graphic print. I did not right. include this in the art show. No, I'm <laughs> sure. There's no way this ran in the Sentinel. No. No way. And I pointed out to her, said, you know, this is a disturbing print. And you could see the extent of their injuries, which resulted, these are fatal injuries. And uh, Bob Grant, by the way, did not believe in filters, anything like that. He is a newsman. His policy was you get in close, and then after you get in close, you get in closer. Crisp, clear, you're there telling you a story to the point of being absolutely brutal in some cases. If well, you- no, I mean, when you're shooting something like that, you know, you're... You- you have to have the whole story there, the whole the whole pile of essentially on the spot research, and then when you go to make your prints, it's you know what tells the story in a way that the general public will understand it. But you know, as you said, he also did shots for the police department, mm-hmm. and in the course of his normal photojournalism duties, you know, I'm sure that there are times that he would make those photos available to the police department if they needed them. Oh, I'm sure that is exactly what happened here, yeah. Mesa County Sheriff's Office, Mesa County Coroner, right. no, no question of it. And the reason why there would be an excess print is back in the darkroom days, you made test prints <laughs> and sometimes you didn't get the exposure right. And that went what we call file 13, the trash can. <laughs> yeah, well, the circular file. Right. Right. <laughs> well, he saved some of these. So you'll never see this print because I don't own it. I mean, he right. took it, but I don't own it. So, right. but so I pointed out to my mother, now, I'm guessing this photo was taken in the mid 1950s. Right. To which my mother says, oh, let me tell you, that scene was far more graphic than it looks in that picture. In other words, yeah, she was there. Oh, okay. Nin- mid-1950s, my mom would have been 10 years old at best. Why was she there? Well, Bob Grant was a father. Uh, his wife worked for the regional center nights. Mm-hmm. So when this happened late in the... Yep. Nighttime hours. Just couldn't leave my mom at home alone. What yep. does he do? Pile the kids in the car. And Throw take the kid off. in the car. Go <laughs> photograph three dead bodies at the bottom of Nine Mile Hill. Yeah. It's a rough life in a lot of ways. Yeah. Lot. I'll give you another example. Uh, I was driving Bob Grant up to Norwood. We were going past Norwood, but he said, pull over up here at this field. Okay. And he said, okay, back in 1960 something, there's a plane crash right here. Three people were killed. They were all friends of his. The day before, less than 24 hours before, he was with them. He was a pilot himself. They had gone flying. They had uh, set out from the airstrip there by Whitewater. Right. On top of the Mm -hmm. hill there, not too far from the landfill. He had flown with these people less than 24 hours early. Actually, they'd gone skydiving. So them, then a pilot. Well, then these folks flew back to wherever they, I can't remember where they were from, Durango or someplace. Mm -hmm. They were flying back and crash. Well, he had to go up. It was his job to photograph. Oh, yes. There, there's a gut, classic gut check right there. Okay. This this happened a lot, even oh, with me. Yeah. as a, I was 15 when he retired. I remember several times I'd stay with my grandparents. Okay, mm-hmm. kids, get in the car. I have an older brother. We'd get in the car, and it would be a, a drowning. It would be something yeah. terrible. This is the way it simply was. Do you, you see where I'm coming from with my sense of responsibility right. here? I have no one to pass the torch to. I have no kids. Right. I'm it. Yeah, man, I'd, I'd, I'd love to help you put together a book, man. I think okay. this would be great to, mm-hmm. to memorialize not only Bob, but the history that he was involved with for his entire career here. And, I, you know, I'm big on history, and 
I, I love those old photographs and especially the photojournalism kind <laughs> because they wear better. Artistic styles change over time and what used to be considered a pretty picture may not be anymore. But an historical artifact, like a photojournalist's picture, mm -hmm. that lives forever. That stuff should be preserved. It absolutely should. Matter of fact, I would argue to a large extent it's absolutely critical because most of these photos, again, came from a time when pho when photography was not as commonplace. Agreed. Everybody has a phone, now, a phone that can take a photo. Yeah. Everybody. And In the 40s and 50s, people barely had television sets. So a photograph was how they got the visual news of the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, in all, not to brag, but I'd like to think Bob was very good at what he did. And I think his, his integrity and his uh, work ethic far surpassed his artistic end. Not to say that he wasn't an artistic man, no. but from a technical and artistic stance, that was great. But he was always out there doing it. When I was growing up and I'd, he'd pick me up from school, he had to move 50 tons of garbage out of the seat, lenses, <laughs> cameras, tripods, just to get in the car. Yeah, the normal st yeah. tools of work. Right, yeah. and this is... This is, it didn't matter. It could be on the weekend. I never saw the man without a camera. He was oh, my no. grandpa. I no. never saw. And when he'd get home from work, and he pulled 13-hour days. Oh, yeah. I'm sitting there bragging like crazy, but that's a fact. He, oh. What does he do? News doesn't wait. He sets up a camera out in his yard up on Little Park Road and sets a trigger to it and then puts a, uh, oh, I don't know, a a piece of bread or something on it so that at night <laughs> when a fox comes along grabs a piece of bread it snaps his foot excellent this just went on non-stop and oh, again yeah. i wouldn't recognize him without a camera so i'm with you on the book why i hesitate a little bit is the fact that i've tried to execute much smaller attempts at sharing his photography and have run into ethical problems moral debates respect for the audience that can kind of put you in a bit of a jam when we're talking about photojournalism. Right. Now, if I were sitting there sharing photos of him taking, you know, wildlife photos, you and I would not be here having this conversation right now. Uh, this book would have come out 10 years ago. Yeah. And since he's with the Daily Sentinel for so many years, to me, that is a primary resource for you to, to, you know, go talk to them and say, this is what I'd like to do. And they will give you guidelines on how to look at the photographs and to be able to, to, to decide this is publishable for the general public. This, probably not so much. Yeah. And that would be a good resource to start with. And then the next step would be to just sit down with the photos, bearing in mind what you have learned about the legal and ethical ramifications of, you know, what's in the photographs, mm -hmm. and then uh, just start editing down. It's like any research project. You start with a very big pile of research, and you just start editing down, and you get an idea of what the storyline is. And then you decide, okay... These pictures fit, uh, for example, when he was in uh, early days in the Sentinel, and then you have a section where his army photographs might be in there, and then you have a section of his personal photographs. And, and then you can build a timeline that goes through that. And then uh, a lot of the photographs will probably give you clues to events, whether this was an exceptionally newsworthy event or an exceptionally important personal event. And that raises the probability of them making the editing cut and getting actually put in the book. I've actually been working on a book myself for a rather long number of years on my dad's service during World War II and collecting photographs and information like that. And the two problems I've run into with, run into is 
writing parts to go with his diary to explain his references and whatnot, and then finding pictures to illustrate where he was, what he was doing, and how that fit into a larger picture. That's a big pile of stuff that you have to condense into something that'll fit into a, a, a book. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a it's a long process and a absolutely tiresome process, mm-hmm. a total pain at times. But it's never ceases to be interesting. You know, that's what you would have to do with all those photographs is find the story. You know and put it all together. And I'm sure the Sentinel would be willing to give you guidance, if not help. And I think the museum might also be a reference source for, you know, how to handle that kind of thing. Given the fact that his army photographs are available to the public, uh, the Daily Sentinel, I suspect, based on their past history, would be happy to guide you or release some of the photographs, the rights to the photographs that you might want in there to uh, uh-huh. publish in a book. Okay, so let me let me shoot a scenario. Sure. At you. Okay. So the very first exhibit I ever put on, I included a photo. Before I didn't just do this. Okay, I sat there and I man, I spent months stressing over this. I contacted a mutual friend, Gary Smith. Right. And his wife Kathy, who I've known for years. And I said, I want to okay. This is a photo. Never ran in the Sentinel. Occurred here not too far from your house. The railroad tracks just down 7th Street. Mm-hmm. In this case, a, a uh, person, a, a gentleman. I can tell you his name. I'm going to, I won't. Basically a vagrant. Not that it matters, but right. had either become intoxicated or something and uh, made the mistake of lying down on the railroad tracks. Mm, bad mistake. Which, in fact, uh, severed the entire lower portion of his body. He survived. Now, the photograph. Wow. Okay, so here's a gentleman. What's left of him? His upper torso, alive. R.T. Matlow, mm-hmm. the uh, fire chief. Fire chief for this for this area, sitting there assisting him. A handful of people. What do you you know? Nothing in the world prepares you, trains you for dealing with someone who's just been severed at the waist. No. Regardless of your training, there is nothing that will prepare you for that. Bob Grant photographed this. So he's under the train. Mm -hmm. I have a reason why I put that in the show. I did, in fact, put this in the show. A a fairly, uh, not too terribly graphic shot, enough to indicate what has happened. Right. But you're not seeing anything that would cause you to to, uh, lose consciousness or anything like that. I had just months earlier at that same spot seen a young man, a train was there, you couldn't get by, the, and he was on a bike, so he didn't feel like waiting, so he got off his bike and crawled under the train. Oh. The whole reason the train is stopped is because they're hooking up cars. Yeah. Well, when they hook up cars, that train can train lurch 10 foot, 10 feet, easily. In an instant. In an absolute instant, and the train yard's half mile down, you can't yeah. see. Was No. This young man, uh, it was the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. He needs old enough to know better. So the fact that uh, this person, that reckless, that careless, that I actually saw something like that, not too long I encountered that photo, I thought, okay, we live in a world that needs to be reminded. That yeah, it- that is a valid consideration. It just, uh, you have to balance that with... Well, and let me backtrack for a second. When I was growing up back in the 50s and stuff, it was very common during your... Uh, you know, high school driver ed classes, or if you were, you know, mm-hmm. going to get your driver's license in a couple of years, or even at the county fair. Uh, every county fair I remember going to growing up had a state Minnesota State Patrol booth and where they were showing accident films right. and stills, and they were very graphic. 
I don't know if you realize this, but if you're shooting black and white film or color, blood tends to not be red. It tends to be brown Mm -hmm. uh, or darker even just by the way it reflects light and the and it was common among state patrols of many states when they were doing this kind of thing to take red paint to emphasize the blood stains around there so it was quite gory very graphic and the whole idea was you know this is what could happen to you and they would frequently have wrecked cars to display mm-hmm. you know this was a fatality in this accident here's the car that they were riding in and you can see what happens when a car gets wrecked exactly so before i, I ran this print i show it to gary smith and, mm-hmm. and kathy both educators college level educators great oh, people yeah. and i said you know guide me on this and they both said the same thing which is okay this is you're not trying to create a sensation with this. This is not uh, something to get attention or or to... Yeah, this is not weekly world news. Right. <laughs> this happened. R.T. Mantlow, you have, you have responders. Uh, mm-hmm. This is what happens when someone gets uh, run over by yeah. countless tons of steel. And, and they... Oh, yeah. There's no way you're going to win on a train battle. And they felt that it was appropriate content to reflect Robert Grant's career. Because right. I can guarantee you, he got a call in the middle of the night. to come. Oh, sure. He wasn't sitting in, at his office. Yeah. So on his own time, went down, photographed this, probably with his own gear, and for posterity's sake or whatever, held on to a copy. Right. Now, again, I can assure you, given the content, it never ran in the paper. It probably does not exist anywhere, in a, yeah, maybe in a police file somewhere, but we're talking 19... 19- yeah. It, it occurs to me that there is a way of handling stuff like that if there's ever a question. Are most of the records or film records you have, are they in film form or print form? Well, 50-50. 50-50. Okay. Ideally, it would be best to select your photographs and then do a high-quality digital scan right. of them. And that way, if you have questionable areas, you can Photoshop and blur them. You know, if you need to conceal a face... You can conceal sure. a face by just blurring the face a little bit. And and that will you know, that will help if there's somebody out there that happens to have some kind of connection to the event, that would relieve some distress that they might feel. And also, you know, you're not drawing attention to the person so much as the event. Right. And that that could help on that too. Plus once you get to the book stage, it's a lot easier to mess with the digital version of the photograph. You can crop and you know, right. play with it all that you want before you say, okay, this is the way I want it to look fine in the final edition. Mm-hmm. And what you just described is exactly where I'm at right now. I've spent the last <laughs> 12 years working on prints. Oh. I'm now done with those. Okay. I'm light years from done, but I'm done with those. Moving yeah. on now to negatives. It is a slow, mind-numbing, oh. tedious process. Very rewarding. Don't not trying to complain, but here's kind of my point with that particular photo. I ran that in an exhibit, photo exhibit. It was a Bob Grant retrospective, so it was not right. about Grand Junction. It was not about any type of right. theme other than career retrospective of Robert Grant. So I had a lot of complaints about that photo. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not a lot, but some... Sig- enough to be significant. Uh, to the point of people approaching me saying, hey, I have a problem mm-hmm. with this, and quite frankly, I have a problem with you. To which I maintain my stance. I'm sorry. This is the life you live. Yeah. Uh, this have this. This is, and this is by no means an exception. This is every day. Well, right. Or potentially every day. I, I had made an effort to put it in front of what I considered very reasonable people to give me an opinion on the matter, and I decided to go with it. I'll stand behind it. I understand the objection. 
obviously, it's a given I'm going to encounter this time and time again right. if I do any type of career retrospective on Robert Grant, because that's what I have. I have photos right. of yeah of events. Yeah, and in, and in a book of photographs, you're going to have somewhere in the ballpark of 300 photographs. Right. That may seem like a lot, but to tell a story of a person's life, that almost seems hyper-limiting. Mm-hmm. You know, because you've got whole different segments to go through. So I, I would suspect that you can find representative photos that are just graphic enough, air quotes there, mm-hmm. to get the point across without beating people over the head with mm-hmm. the gory details. As I proceed, and I very much like and agree with, matter of fact, I feel somewhat obligated with the entire book concept that, that uh, you proposed. Um, but again, having done these small exhibits, these are you know two or three oh, day yeah. long. I've done a dozen of them, very costly to put on. Uh, now, some great things have happened with these. Uh, a few years ago, well, 12 years mm-hmm. ago, I ran a photograph. Young man, this was taken in 1983. The breakdance phenomenon was just starting to take over, maybe 84. Mm-hmm. Students from West Junior High in Grand Junction had a chance to get their photo taken with the First Lady, Nancy Reagan. Oh, nice. And these, these young men were into breakdancing. Well, she did some breakdancing with them. Well, one of the people in this, so there, there are four students, and then in the middle, Nancy Reagan. Mm-hmm. They're doing the wave, or whatever it was yeah. called. A version of that ran in the Sentinel. I had the original print right. that Bob Grant had taken. I included it in the show. Before the show went on, there was some press, and this is one of them that I had, had mentioned would be in the show. Mm-hmm. Well, as it turns out, one of the, at that time, 13, 14-year-old teenagers that was in the photo had gone on to have a great career in Grand Junction Public Service, a uh, wonderful life, but had just passed away from cancer. Oh. And his parents, who did not have a copy of this shot, heard about this. I knew nothing about this at the time. Right. I had no idea who the people were. Mm-hmm. See, that's yeah. half my problem. I don't know that, who these yeah, people are. Know. Right. Well, they find out about it. They come to the show, and that's my son. They're, they're, they're saying, you know, yeah. we, we have never seen this shot. We don't have this. It gave me a chance to give them oh, yeah. the photograph. This has been sitting in a file cabinet since 1984, do, serving no one. Yeah, unseen. One one of the perks of doing something like that is unexpected good things happen as well. Okay, well, I've got by my count about fifty, sixty thousand potential good things <laughs> rotting away in yeah. a number of file cabinets in my basement, in my house. They are my by law, my possession. Right. I'm fifty-two years old. I have X amount of years ahead of me, and this is taking absolute forever. At the rate I'm going, I'll not get through them all. Uh, you know, break it down. You, you know, you have to pull that section of film out. You have to look at it, and in some cases, you may have to enlarge it or something. It's just at least to get an idea of what's on there. Decide yes or no to keep or not, and then refile it. Do that fifty thousand times, and just figure out how much time that is. I mean, it's yeah. got a couple of lifetimes right there. Well, okay. Uh, so I've got to, A, get it done. B, uh, while there are people I could reach out to, this this isn't their project. Now, I'm sure they're Kathy Jordan, yeah. who, by the way, I'm not related to, even though we have the same last name. <laughs> yeah. And I really didn't know. And, and unfortunately, she has passed away. That, yeah. that resource is gone. Right. Priscilla, everybody knows Priscilla, but Priscilla yeah. has her own life as well. There is the historic group here in town. Right. I know half the people on it. Uh, they have offered help. But the, again, we're talking about the magnitude of this project is... Extraordinary. Yes. Um, the photo club in town, the correct name of which I have forgotten, 
Uh, there's some really good shooters in that. You know, you might find some volunteers, you know, give them a, a short stack of film and say, you know, just go through these real quick. And, you know, if one catches your eye as a really good image, hmm. call that out or mark it, you know, as you know, need to look at this one. And that would be a way of just going through a whole lot of, because you know, a lot of, I know that when I knew Bob, a lot of what he was shooting was 35 millimeter. Mm -hmm. And usually you break those off into six frame strips. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you can kind of hold them up to light and you, or a, a light table, which is easier and get an idea of what's on there. And it's like, okay, this is, yeah, these are outtakes. Uh, well, most of these are outtakes. That one's fairly good. We'll set that there and then just mm -hmm. quickly go through. And out of 50,000 shots, you're still going to get a whole pile of, right. you know, right off the top of their head, good looking shots. But it's going to be a lot less than 50,000. So that's the first step of just getting through all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of the things with the book that I'm working on and have been for, oh, way too many years, figuring out what the storyline is. You know, how are you going to tell the story? What is important to that story? What is the story? You know, how do you want, do you want to approach it strictly from a, a photojournalism perspective, or do you want it to encompass all the aspects that he may have taken shots of, like the shot of the fox in the middle of the night or the coyote right. or whatever? And then you can get an idea of the structure of the book, and then that gives you an idea of what kind of photos are going to fit in each section. Right. And the weird thing is there's always going to be photographs that are going to be important enough that don't fit any of those categories right. <laughs> and then you have to decide what to do with those guys right because that that's a little weird if i went to my basement right now i could pull out a box right okay you've been to my house before i could right. i could grab a handful which let's say that turns out to be 40 prints oh in sure. that 40 prints there'll be one that he took from the top of the old daily sandal one is on main street right and you'll see 75 classic cars which were brand new at the time yes but the okay i love those shots very artistic shot uh i had one blown up uh, six foot long by uh, three oh, and a half feet nice. it's sold in five minutes Absolutely. Uh, it wasn't even supposed to be for sale. Some mm -hmm. uh, Mike Schaefer. Oh, and, yeah. That's okay. no surprise there. Uh, uh, media person himself. But in that same bundle will be photos from a shooting that took place at 2nd and Main Street at a bar up on the second floor. It's a dead body on the floor covered in yeah. a blanket. Next to that is going to be little kids in a parade. Yeah. You knew Bob. You know, I, I knew Bob for only a limited amount of time, you know. He's grandpa to you. Hmm. When you're a photojournalist, a lot of the shots you're going to be taking, it's, oh, it's another car accident. It's just one of a hundred car accidents you cover in a, a year or two or five or whatever. How many shots do you need to cover that aspect of photojournalism in this area? Uh, plane crashes. How many, how many do you need? Is, are there accidents or plane crashes or fires of significance? I can remember standing with Brooke Berkey when Berkey Lumber burned. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, the guy was in total shock and the flames were enormous. And then and, and somewhere along the line, if, I don't know if this was, it was right around the time that Bob would have retired. I don't remember if it was before or after that. But, you know, that that's a historic event to the town as mm -hmm. well. And, you know, that's not an ordinary fire. That would be the kind of thing. Or when the Sentinel burned, mm -hmm. uh, that kind of thing. You know, I'm sure that Bob's got a bunch of photographs that he took of events of significance like that. And 
it would not surprise me if you had enough photographs just in those significant events to tell a pretty mm-hmm. a pretty sturdy story of his photojournalism career. We're talking about the photography of Robert Grant. I have 50 years of photos. It's right. time to put in front of people, yes. It just occurred to me on photos that he took for a news event of any kind, uh, one of the standards that's used is this, um, you can publish that photograph as long as you are not singling out any unimportant person to that event for special treatment. Folks in the background or whatnot, that was a public event. And witnesses, you know, people come out of the woodwork when something happens. Just as background people in a photograph like that, you don't really have to worry about because it was a public event. Mm-hmm. So, so many things to consider. Time oh, yeah. is, is... Time is the... <laughs> Uh, killer. Not a luxury that no. we have here. Then again, you know, I could throw these things in a box, haul them down to the museum, say, here you go. No disrespect to our museum, but that's... Uh, no, that, that's a big pile of things for them to deal with, too. Exactly. Okay. And they, they have their own battles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they they do this on a regular basis, on a daily basis, right. with various of the collections that they have. Precisely. So this is, you and I will have this discussion many times <laughs> yeah. over the years. Yeah. I appreciate your help today. Uh, Again, I'm looking for guidance from those that knew Bob Grant or that, like yourself, have a certain background in the area and add to it your your artistic expertise and the fact that you have put on many a show. You've worked on yeah. books. You know everything I'm, I'm uh, hoping to accomplish. I, I have a handle on it at any well, rate. Well, you're a better artist than I. I, I think <laughs> you could have done a better job than what I have done thus far. And my objective to get this all back in front of the world, um, uh, the idea of it sitting right now in my basement, these r- horrible-looking old news file cabinets and these special drawers just for negatives, which contain oh, thousands, thousands each. And I have stacks of these. <laughs> I give you one word of advice. There is one word to keep in the front of your mind when you're looking at the photographs. Ruthless. You must be ruthless in deciding whether this is a worthwhile photograph to be in a book. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, you you just literally, oh, I really like this photo, but it's just not quite right. There's this small flaw, and then mm-hmm. boom, it's out. The photos you to put in have to be, you have to have your ruthless eyes on to say, you know, this photograph meets every aspect of the story that I want to tell. And... It, it is not easy. It is horribly difficult. Are you in agreement that it needs to be done? Oh, Or am absolutely. I spinning my wheels? No, here? no, no, no. I, you know, signed me up for at least a couple of copies. <laughs> <laughs> so. Speaking with Pat Olson, local artist, musician, uh, businessman, Colorado. Grandpa. <laughs> Grandpa, yeah. <laughs> I've known for years. I appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. Thank Uh, you. My pleasure. And I look forward to following your advice because you're someone I trust and I know that you're a, a friend of Bob's and that is important to me as well.